There we are. Kids, I mean, kids. Jesus. God, I'm old. Um, they're dressing like... They're dressing appallingly. It's like the 2000s all over again, basically, isn't it? I think. 90s, isn't it? Baggy I'm jeans, baggy flare. jeans. Are they flares? No, they're just baggy White socks, sliders. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All in. Yeah. JR's got Comfy. sliders under his desk at work. White socks? Not the white socks. Don't like the sock tie. <laughs> <but yeah. laughs> no, no. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us, Jill. I'm very excited. You're welcome. It's nice to have some knowledge around the table. Oh. <laughs> you flatter me. No, 100%. 100%. Looking forward to this. I mean, This last is our, our first professional guest. This is our first guest, yes. <laughs> We've been let loose for the first couple of now. That's <laughs> so we have. Thank uh-huh. you for joining us again. This is episode number three, Taking Stock After the Bell. Um, I'm joined by, obviously... Jill Clifford, our first guest, financial planner with Quilter Financial Advisors. Thank you. Um, Johnny Raymond, investment manager, and James Hughes, investment manager as well, and I'm David Henry. Um, the last time we sat down and recorded, I said the markets were definitely boring. Um, I am so bored of this market. We all there's going to be there's going to be weeks I think where we're stuck with content. Uh, we're not stuck this week, so we need to get launched into it. Um, we're talking about the 2000s. It all feels about 2007, what with banks going to the wall. Um, do you want to take us through what's been happening with the banks and what we think the similarities are with you know, sort of mid-2000s, if there are any at all? Uh, James? I mean, we'll have to start with SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, which I'm sure everyone is, is now aware of. Um, I... I'd be interested to know how many people had heard of SVB before a couple of weeks ago. Mm. It's um, you know a regional bank which was focused on private equity and venture capital. It took in a huge amount of deposits um, very quickly when money was being raised over the last few years for tech mm. businesses. Um, the problem was they you know the loans on, they couldn't make the loans quick enough on the other side as we've we've all now found out. So what they did was they didn't make risky loans. They bought very secure treasuries unfortunately they appear to have forgotten about duration and fixed fixed the trade or bought maturities of 10 years plus um, at 2% coupons and as you've had an aggressive increase in rates um, in the US it's you know that you, you've got very large paper losses in terms of those treasuries and I think it was I can't remember the name of the group but it's one venture capital advisor that sort of advised a few clients to start withdrawing funds and there was a classic Classic run on the, the bank. bank. I think what, what everyone <laughs> often forgets about banks is that if all of us go to all of our banks on the same day and try and get our money out, we've got a big problem because the banks can't actually give us all our money at the same time. It doesn't matter if you're JP Morgan or SVB or the Bank of Timbuktu. So the the commonality with the issues that seeing in the banks, and I'm sure we'll mention Credit Suisse in a minute, is that you've got interest rates have gone from naught to four or five percent in the space of a year. And banks have not put deposit rates and savings rates up by anywhere near as much. Yeah. So if you're Mr. Snooks or you're the finance director of a relatively large business with a load of cash on deposit with SVB mm. or Credit Suisse or JP Morgan or Lloyd's, doesn't matter, and you're getting paid half percent despite rates now at four, you've got the option of going to buy a short dated treasury, US treasury, which is pretty secure, not price secure, but it's credit secure or a money market fund and harvest base rate and base rates four or five percent. So you're going to get a pickup in yield of two or three percent with very minimal extra risk and I'm sure we'll talk about that later on. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, lots of these Silicon Valley companies who had cash balances and ordinary investors who've got significant cash sums, and we've seen a little bit, bit of that in the business, moving their money out of deposit accounts and savings accounts that were paying them nothing into money market funds, which obviously is a strain on the banking system. And in the case of SVB, you've got <coughs> those venture capital guys who are the, you know, the founders and investors just sort of nudging the finance directors of these companies and saying, something going on here, and all of a sudden you get a, a, a classic run. If there's any panic to spread, it spreads more easily between a group that are speaking to each other on a day-to-day -day basis, not just in person, but online. Social media. So, so social media and technology is fascinating, because there's two facets I mean, to if it. If you go to that back to 2007, there were, you know, the front page of every paper was everyone queuing outside, queuing outside North, North Rock. Rock. Yeah. You don't have to queue, no, press the button. Do it on your phone. Yeah, I bank with Starling. Um, which is probably a bank to be slightly wary of, I guess. But um, it's, it's the same, you know, it's, it's growing up with technology. But if I want to withdraw something, I press a button and it, immediately it's in my HSBC account. Mm. Um, the, the movement of fund flows are so much more aggressive. And then when you've got leverage on top of what's sitting in deposit and you're loaning it out, that's obviously where the difficulties come. I think, you know, the big takeaway is, you know, following the financial crisis in 07, the regulator has a lot more or they have the ability to act far quicker. And the amazing thing was they backstopped deposit holders of SVB straight away. Straight away. Mm. They're not individuals, you know, these are businesses and that just wouldn't have happened back in the day. Yeah. So that's the real positive and the regulators have done, you know, to be in fairness, a brilliant job on this. But, you know, I think there was a massive you know, there's a big buy case for banks at the beginning of the year with increasing margins. We talked about it for Yeah, we ago. did. Yeah. Um, but of course, you know, there's a fine line between that that spread or that margin being too big and people moving, and that's that's ultimately what's happened in this. Yeah. Banks are very delicate flowers that need very specific conditions to work, and if it's too hot or too cold, seemingly they don't. No. I mean, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, James and I started our careers, what early early noughties, and you know, banks are one of the best performing sectors for that five year period from two thousand and two to two thousand and the moment they were bust. Um, so, and they do need high high and rising rates and reasonably good economic environment and loose regulation also helps. But and an asset bubble, I guess. I mean, the the other point to make is. You know, the, the, the likes of SVB were less regulated than the major banks that we typically invest in. So, you know, the JPMs, the Bank of Americas, those types of businesses in the US are, are much more highly regulated than the regional banks. Now, it was actually Mr. Trump that loosened mm. the regulation. So they would have come under the same tight regulation that the larger banks would have done had he not... Mm reduced or increased the level I, I can't it was reduced to 200 it was 50 billion dollars yeah it was reduced and then to it was increased to 250 yeah, and, and SVB sat just underneath yeah so had had it not been for that change in regulation um, this probably wouldn't have happened it may have still happen but less likely to have happened so it does go back to again the US being slightly looser on regulation than European banks and yeah. UK banks, and certainly European regulator and UK regulator are much, much harsher on the banks than the US um, regulators are on, on their medium-sized banks. I think, I guess you look at the size of SVB compared to the larger banks, and it's, yeah, it's a pebble in the, 
sense of pebble in the ocean. It's sixteenth, sixteenth biggest bank in the US. I know. That, so I was astonished I was by. Yeah. Surprised by. I as mean, well, prior to, yeah. prior to well, ten years ago, mm. it definitely wouldn't have been those sorts of levels. No. I, I, I want to keep zipping through this. Cause yeah, no, of course. We've got a bunch to cover, yeah. but. SVB, the initial issue was they bought a load of assets that if interest rates went up, they were in trouble and interest rates went up and that meant that there was a panic and they had a tight group of depositors who are pretty close communication with each other and that led to a bit of a stampede. Mm. Um, so there's idiosyncrasies with that bank. The reason I bring that up about you know the assets that they bought, which were predominantly US treasuries, mm. I mean, it's hardly like, you know... Um, the big short type stuff, no. really risk taking gambling. It's but US if, government if debt. If you owned a US, a ten year US Treasury at the start of last year, you lost twenty percent of the value of it on the price move because yeah. interest rates went up. Because yeah. if you buy a US Treasury paying you one percent a year and rates are now four, the bond that you've got paying you one percent is not worth as much as it was, and that's called the duration. And so the regulation that comes in now will probably be focused on duration, duration management, management rather yeah. than risk taking that we had before. But that's yeah. what banks do, though. Banks is called maturity transformation. They borrow short from depositors and they lend long. Normally, it's thirty-year mortgages in the US or five-year mortgages yeah, in the UK. Yeah. But in SVB case, it was ten-year treasuries, which it's not wholly different to lending out on a mortgage, a thirty-year mortgage. It's the same. You're taking effectively the same risk. Mm. No. And, of, and of course, when you're lending over ten years at two percent, and you know you're you're the deposit, you're not paying deposit anything. That two percent margin on your money is absolutely fine. Mm. Of course, as we know, when rates go to four and three quarters in the US, or they have a range of four and a half, four and three quarters, two um, percent is not fine. No. So, and and that's that's exactly what's happened. So, I mean, it's quite amazing they have bought the safest assets they could on the the, the they just, asset yeah, on the planet. They just actually. didn't hedge the duration, mm. which which I would have thought. I mean, the, the head head of risk might not have a job again. But, um, no. Um, I mean, just just you mentioned European regulators. It's touch on Credit Suisse. Um, SVB had idiosyncrasies. Um, I mean, what's the score with Credit Suisse? Obviously, it's been rescued over the weekend. Um, chat of, of of a shotgun type marriage with UBS forced by the Swiss regulator or by UBS, depending on who you listen to and, and who you think is the most powerful there. But. Credit Suisse has, has, let's generously say, struggled, I think, as a bank for a yeah. couple of decades. Management, management mm. issues. You know, they've been embroiled in pretty much any, every scandal going across the mm. world. Anti-money laundering, all sorts. Um, also, not, the, um, the CEO travelled through COVID on a private jet <coughs> oh, yeah, when right. he wasn't allowed yeah, to travel. The whole thing. <laughs> just, you, you know. um, yeah, it was one mistake after another. But again, you got, not dissimilar to SVB, you had... The, the people who bank with Credit Suisse are high net worth investors who've got deposits well in excess of the deposit insurance limits. So high net worth individuals with seven figures. So, you know, the same, if they can park their money instead in short dated German Bunds or Swiss treasuries and get that yield pickup, they could do it because they had an investment account alongside their deposit account. So then you see deposit outflow. They had a lot of deposit outflow last year and it actually didn't cause so many problems. Um, but obviously that's cascaded after SVB. And the Swiss government obviously decided they need to keep things inside their own borders. Um, I mean, but probably, the marriage. probably the final nail in the coffin was when the largest shareholder came out and said it wouldn't commit any more capital to them. It didn't need to say it was that. The side wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, they didn't need They're to say that. that. I mean, that was just the end of the road, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was. As you say, I d you know, there's probably a lot of similarities between Lloyds being forced to take over HBOS back in the day, and we all know how that ended up. Mm. Lloyds have never recovered, so you know, I'm not. Sh I'd be pretty nervous as a 
you know, to, to watching what would happen with UBS being forced to take on these assets. Be yeah, I think UBS have extracted out. some some assurances from the Swiss government, haven't they? This uh, sort of they're they're sharing the first X billion of losses, I think, with the Swiss government if there are any. Mm -hmm. And I'm not I'm not saying that the Credit Suisse's balance sheet looks like HBOSs did in 2007, which we probably don't know, because I guess most of the lending will be high net worth property investment and investment portfolio lending. It's still got a reasonable lending. wealth franchise, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, oh, definitely. Definitely. Joe, yeah. when you're speaking to people about cash holdings, you know, well, haven't, this hasn't been tested in the UK. I mean, thankfully, touch wood, none of the UK banks have, have been under any stress recently. But what the Americans have done would suggest that, you know, the, the £85,000 financial services compensation scheme limit, you know, we can probably assume that deposits above that would be backstopped if that were ever to happen I mean does that come into planning I guess it's just prudent planning to spread your deposits around anyway yeah um, it is it is part of planning you know we always uh, encourage clients to make sure they have a good contingency and that's partly just to make sure they've got that there for unforeseen expenses but mm. also perhaps when there is a bit of volatility and if mm. they have been drawn income from their plans as well they've got that backstop too but when it comes to larger sums of money because we're, we're thinking about the planning op options and we haven't committed it at that point then it is a conversation and we do and that they're much more aware of it now they're much more mm. um open to that discussion about the depositors compensation scheme, they know the limits, they know the joint amounts together. Mm. They look for familiarity in there as well. So the FCA is regulating that particular institution because there are there are, you know, uh, providers coming in that are offering very attractive rates. Mm. So they will they will <coughs> they will check those things now. So there's certainly been an education process since 2007 mm. that I'm seeing and I'm talking with clients and, and as you say technology plays a huge part they don't mm. have to go down to the high street and walk uh, in yeah. and open everything on mm. an individual mm. basis so. which would have probably prevented them doing that back in 2007 yeah. whereas today they're quite happy to do it they'll build a little spreadsheet they'll know exactly what their interest rate is and when it's going to mm. mature. Mm. You, you can't expect mm. people to become forensic accountants when yeah. they're depositing money with a bank. Yeah. And there's a difference between bailing out investors, shareholders in a business, and if that fails and go, it should, you know, your shareholdings should go to zero. But the idea that depositors lose their shirt in that environment, I don't think, is, is a palatable one. The governments, I don't. I mean, it's the eighty-five thousand pound limit. You've got to plant your flag in the ground somewhere. But I suspect that if push came to shove, we would probably do what the Americans have done with SVB. Mm. Um, we, we well, hopefully, we won't have to say. Um, this is this is um credit default swap swap prices um for a bunch of banks. Yeah, pick out Credit Suisse on this chart. Um, this is sort of telling you that there's no contagion being implied by the market. Just yet is that fair complacent what do you think well there's no i mean as things stand and things can change very quickly you know still even with svb and credit Suisse, there isn't really an asset quality problem in the same way that rbs <coughs> et al Lehman had a ton of toxic assets on their balance sheet that weren't worth 100 they're actually worth 50. that's not the problem this time around the pro the problem is literally liquidity deposits have been leaving institutions now there are plenty of regulations in place and backstops and Fed swap agreements and repo, repo agreements etc that are there to enable banks to take advantage of liquidity so that they can you know, essentially stem deposit outflows if they continue. Um, 
So I think these charts do tell a good story that there is no widespread contagion, mm. and I think that, that so far things have weathered the storm. And the S and P 500 equity index is back above where it was yeah. for us for SVP yeah. went bust. Yeah. So that tells you as much as you need to know. Yeah. And I should say these are credit default swaps. Basically, the cost, the probability that the bank goes bust. Yeah, the cost of insuring against. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is there, there's been a lot of volatility as you'd expect in. You know, UK bank share prices and European bank share prices and, and US bank share prices, but um, actually where we sit today, you know, certainly the UK banks, a reasonable amount of those drawdowns have been recovered, um, mm. and you know, for the moment, it, it's you know, it doesn't look like a, a wider spread issue. Do you, James, do you think that the profitability of said large UK banks in particular has been? Uh, compromised by what's happened. I mean, interest rate expectations have fallen, and they might need to put interest rates up on deposit accounts. Do, do we think that impacts profitability? I think because I the, the bull case for banks is is just that: is that they can park the banks can park their spare cash with the Bank of England yeah. and earn four yeah. percent, and they're only paying NatWest are only paying me point one on my say, on my deposit yeah. account, and they they hoover up the difference. So if we now expect interest rates to start coming down, and in fact they now have to pay me one percent, otherwise I'm moving my cash out. Yeah. What does that do to their I profits? Think, I think you know we've. I think we we're probably all in agreement that we've seen peak net interest margins, um, and there was, you know, that was that was a lot of the buy case for for banks as we entered the year. Um, They're still quite cheap, though, aren't they? Isn't it? I think that's the other side. They are very cheap, and there's very good dividend. Yeah, yeah. no, and there's very good dividend yields. Um, and I think actually, if you look back at the statements, you know, the outlook statements, and to be honest. NatWest on the day of their results and, and Barclays on the day of their results, there was an outlook statement in terms of net interest margins and, and they were probably slightly lower than the market expected. Um, and I think they were probably, they were actually very cautious in terms of where they were going. I think they probably knew that they had to increase rates they were paying to deposit holders. Mm. Um, the, the, question, the question is, you know, has the investment thesis changed for the banking sector? Is it as attractive as it was? few months ago probably it's slightly less attractive but they are still very cheap mm. investments aren't Agreed. they? You've got this double whammy of stress, headline risk basically, stress the banking sector, everyone fights the last war, threw their hands up in the air and thinks this is 07 all over again but also to your point JR you've got declining profitability and maybe you're because rates are coming down. Um, yeah that's the biggie. Which is the biggie, yeah. there we go, yeah. expectations for the Fed funds rate, yeah, what, where people think rates are going to be it's just collapsed uh, as yep. of the past couple of weeks um, I mean we so, sorry if you're to, having to pay more in deposits yeah. and then you're, you know, your uh, profitability is worse I mean sorry to interrupt it, it's we said it either the last podcast or the ones before you know you sort of made a slightly cheeky comment that you pushed off an actual analyst and said it's never worked owning banks <laughs> into a recession <laughs> And it's never worked. I'm not taking the credit for that. No, only However. banks when. The yield, no, <laughs> Are we right. saying that to when, when the yield curve inverts, um, oh. you know that that question is still there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, they, they, but on the other side, they are exceptionally cheap, and there's very good dividend coverage. And um, excuse me, sorry. Um, you know, so so there is an, a good investment case still, mm. but. Um, yeah, yeah, we've got to monitor it. It's, that's our job. Do you want to take that, by the way? 
<laughs> that was someone calling so up about hear SVP. The yeah, flow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what have you got me a, a load of banks for? Um, <laughs> so, the, given given what we're looking at, given what we're looking at at the minute with rate expectations, Fed are obviously making their decision tonight. Yeah. Can no you name this. me a harder Fed decision than this? Well, I think the Bank of England have got a hard job. Bank of England on tomorrow, probably. Yeah. The ECB tomorrow. last week. I mean, the ECB have got form, so. So the European Central Bank put rates up half percent last week in the midst of Credit Suisse chaos, pretty much, in the middle of it, um, just after SVB went bust. They were the last to raise rates in 2008, probably weeks before Lehman went bust. They also put rates up in 2011, just as the Greek debt crisis was kicking off. I mean, they've got real form, and they did half a percent last week. Um, so mind your eye on that. But this is incredible. You know, Powell sat in testimony to Congress three weeks ago, or was it probably, uh, it might have been the day before the last pod, mm. and rates were going to 5.5-6% in July as the black line shows here on this chart. Mm. And then we've had SVB and we've had a little bit of soft economic data, and we, it's not, you know, it's not been brilliant, but it's not been terrible. Um, and now we're at the blue line, and the market's expecting a decent chunk of rate cuts by the end of the year, so the market's expecting a 4%. I mean, this will be out of date by the time of the... <laughs> I know, yeah, so, but by the time um, this comes out on Friday, it'll almost certainly so be So they'll, the they'll probably put rates up a bit, probably, because they won't want to... Because interestingly, I, I do remember they cut rates in March 2020, at the start of the pandemic, they cut rates by a full 1% in the first mm. week of March. And even I was like, oh, crikey, this is quite serious. And the market, the equity market went to bloodbath that day. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think if they don't do anything, the market might take the view the Fed knows something yeah. that we don't. It's a tightrope. Um, tight if they do the half percent, which was priced in pre-SVB, I think everyone would say you're absolutely bonkers and behind the curve. So I know what I would do. I'd sit straight in the middle, but... What um, would you... 25 Yeah, 25. Point. Because inflation, yes, it is coming down, but... It's not coming down very fast. It's not co- no, so, you know, we'll talk about it in a minute, but... No, CPI on services is 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 a problem still, and and as you say, I think Bank of England probably has there's the harder job. There's three realistic mm. options, I think. Not do nothing, twenty five or fifty, mm. and the case for doing nothing, I think, is on screen at the minute. Yeah. Um, so you think they'll done. do? You think they'll do nothing? Look what you've already I, done. I I think they'll do twenty five, but that's yeah, so that's boring. So I'm gonna say they'll do nothing. Um, Look how far we've gone in such a really quick yeah. space of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that red line on the chart that you can see yeah. as the, the first line? Um, this has been an extraordinarily fast hiking cycle. We haven't so much tapped the foot brake as jumped on it with two yeah. feet and pulled the handbrake for good measure. Yeah. Um, why not sit and wait and see? I, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. Because there's another meeting in four, uh, excuse me, five weeks. Mm. So it's not as if you know we've got to sit through the summer and you've got a load of data points between now and then. The counterpoint is, is of course, what you're saying around inflation and services inflation. Is quite services sticky. inflation is is not but coming off quickly from what we've seen, but it is a lagging indicator. Yeah, we know that. Lots of economists um, would say that rate hikes work with a twelve to eighteen month lag. So we're not even, we're not even, we're just about hitting the impact now of the first rate hike. So pause and be patient is probably... Now, yeah, maybe it's not 12 to 18 months. I don't know. Mm. I haven't run the data. But there are arguments to say, actually, it all happens a bit quicker now, but everyone's got a different viewpoint, haven't they? 
but historically, it's, it's usually find out. to eighteen months. We, we shall find out. We will find out, and as we mm. as we covered last time out, actually, you don't necessarily need a, a roaringly hot economy for the stock market to do well. Um, sometimes it can. No, any other, any other thing to come back to the point about expectations management zero twenty five or fifty. How does the market react? I mean. Finger in the you air could, stuff, you, isn't it? Well, you could make an argument for either way. Yeah. For you know, you could make a positive and a negative argument for zip, for for nothing, twenty five and yeah. fifty. I think my, it just my, depends. My bigger picture opinion on this is that you know, if you are trying to second guess how the market reacts to a fairly unpredictable Fed rate decision for the for the wealth preservation and enhancement in your account, then you need your head tested. You need to grow that, up. That's and get a, you, need, that's, you need a growing up investment not the way strategy to get rich. Because uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, A, it's going to consume your life if you behave like that, and B, you're not going to get a good idea. Well, it's, no. it's control of controllables again, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's doing the work on individual businesses and making sure we're invested you know, across, the, across, the, across the piece on, 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 on very good quality names. And then that control the controllables. Bucket, obviously, tax is a big element. Mm. Um, it's not just been banks; it's been the budget as well. Um, that we had since Feels last like a time out. Ago now, doesn't it? Mm. Does seem a little, <laughs> little bit of a while ago. Um, assume Jill for a moment that I'm a moron. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a big assumption. Assume I know absolutely nothing. Explain to me. The lifetime allowance, as it was, and the changes that we've had as of a couple of, well, last week, wasn't it? Yeah, so this all came about following the spring budget um, and the rationale behind it, it the, the message that came out from the government was that this is a budget for economic growth and it was to get the over 50s back to work. They all seem to have left the workplace following... It's a big yeah. issue. Yeah, following COVID decided to take lifestyle changes and so on um, and the Chancellor has said that this move would encourage the NHS doctors consultants and other high earners back into the workplace for longer um, and this is all around what they've done uh, in respect of pensions and the lifetime allowance as you've mentioned and so currently that lifetime allowance sits just over a million pounds at a million and seventy three thousand one hundred and from the 6th of April this year it's going to be completely abolished which means anybody that's very close to that limit or in excess of that limit is not going to be penalized by being in excess of that limit okay. any, any longer so it becomes much more attractive for those high earners or those who have been investing into a pension for many, many years to continue to invest into it and therefore continue in the workplace so that contributions can be made. Mm -hmm. So you, you've had basically a bit of a result for pension savers, is that, that fair to say, and high earners as well because you have that, not only the, the abolishing of the lifetime allowance, we'll get back to whether that lasts in a second, but also you've got an increase in the amount that you can put into your pension yeah. as so, well. Mm -hmm. So currently the annual allowance is 40,000 per annum, um, and that's going to increase again from the 6th of April to 60,000, so yeah. a 50% hike. Yeah. Which is material. Yeah, it's huge. It's yeah. absolutely huge. And again, the, the rumours we had before mm. all of this came out was the lifetime allowance expectations were in the region of around 1.8 million. Mm. But simply just to abolish it was kind of something that took us all by surprise. Did you, did you watch him announce it? Did I? Watch him announce it. 
Um, I was listening to it on the radio, um, and yeah, it was quite a, mm. a big dramatic piece when he did so say it. So smug. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, just, it was a huge. It obviously thing. had some coaching at United before. <laughs> it was absolutely appalling. But um, I mean, listen. The, the the question is obviously it's it's good news for pension savers, um, not least because the lifetime allowance rules. I think it's fair to say are. are quite technical good for planners and yeah, advisors absolutely. <laughs> and, and again it, it, it's great from a technical point of view because there are still some nuances around yeah, it yeah sure you mm. know there's people who've got fixed protection and individual mm. protection over many many years because this has been going on for years and years and years where gradually the lifetime allowance has been reduced to such an extent um, and people have already exceeded those specific allowances were allowed to put protection in place to protect that current level of pension mm. um, at the time, mm. which means there's question marks around what is the, what's the implications for them. Now, government have come out and said, um, because one of those little nuances is the 25% tax-free cash you're able to take is fixed at mm. the current lifetime allowance. It's quite sneaky, though. It is, but again, it, it's you know it's because because pun. interestingly, by abolishing the lifetime allowance, yes, the government don't get the tax revenue on the lifetime allowance charge, which was what twenty five percent. So if you took it, if you were in drawdown and taken an income, anything in excess of yeah. the lifetime allowance was taxed at twenty five percent on the excess element, and if you took a lump sum, it would have been fifty five percent. But what it means is that if you're effectively limiting the tax free cash, there's more of the pot that's going to have to be drawn down. As income tax, with income tax payable. Yeah, yeah, but you can manage <laughs> that. You can manage that. You, uh, yeah, you, OVR, yeah, 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 of course. So, so pre, if you go back a bit, when was the rule? When were the rules changed? Because historically, you had to annuitize all of your pension fund at a certain point in time, wasn't it? At seventy-five. Yeah. yeah. So cap drawdown or. So uh, uh, there was, there's a lot. So you you had in 2016 we got freedom of pensions. 2016. Yeah, right. came into effect. It's not that long ago, is it? Um, no, it, no, it wasn't. Um, and that allowed you to do mm. far more with your pension mm. um, at that point. Absolutely. Mm. So broad headline is good news for pension savers, and if the lifetime allowance has been sort of a reason that you you know, discounted a pension, maybe look at it again. I guess with fresh eyes. Absolutely. Ge general sort of follow-up question. This is really tough because the obvious pushback that I think you know you mm. said a moment ago that you've had from clients before we were recording is whether well, the rules are going to change back anyway. I'm not going to ask you to speculate whether or not that happens because probably in order mm. to do that you need to know the result of the next general election. How do you think about that? If you think that tax is going to change down the line advising clients, do you say to them play the landscape as it is at the moment? Or do you try and think about what may be coming down the road? Because that's tough, right? Yeah, so there's, there's a number of factors there. One, it's the individual's personal circumstances, um, and that's crucial. Two, it's um, you know the current levels of their pensions. What, what are they at at the moment? We can only plan on what legislation mm. tells us mm. today. We, can't, we, we don't have that crystal ball. We can't predict what's going to ha happen going forwards. However, you know, there is a shortage of, of, of resources in places like the NHS. This was one of the reasons why he's done this. It is a complicated area, certainly with the NHS and certainly with their pen pensions. You know, he could reflect on it. He might 
bring in a limit, he may not. Now, we can't speculate on that. No. We don't know. We just simply we don't know what the outcome of the general election or when that will be. We can only plan for the benefits today. Mm-hmm. And there's huge amounts of benefits by pension planning. Huge Pens- pensions are attractive Absolutely. anyway. This is just the, yeah, mm-hmm. and it should be the first... <laughs> You know, it should be the first thing you're considering in terms of, you know, if you've got a mortgage, you've got protection in place, it should be really looking to plan for your retirement. And I think in your last podcast, Jonathan, you mentioned about state pension going up by 10.7%. Yes, And for those that have got the full mm. allowance, it's 10,600. That's not going to look after most people mm. in their retirement. So it's an incredibly important piece of planning because of the ta- there's nothing as tax efficient. ICE is in the next clusters, but there's nothing mm. as tax efficient as your pension. Mm. And therefore, it's really, really important to be looking at pension. Just, so lifetime allowance limits been removed. If clients start adding to pensions again and there's good growth, and there's a different government that comes into power in the next general election and they reverse it. Is there a danger that some clients that were close sort of added might end up with a tax charge? So what's happened previously, where you've got um, a lifetime allowance, mm. or well, at the moment what well, from April there won't be one. Yeah. So if there is a, an introduction of a lifetime allowance limit and we don't know what that might look like, Previously, there's been an element, a period of time, if you've been close or near to that current limit, or, well, it's, or close to the limit that they're going to introduce, you've had an, uh, the ability to be able to fix or protect that yeah, current sure, limit. Sure. So, so that but would again, happen. Yeah, it's, an expe- it's a speculation. You don't yeah. know if it's allowed to happen, but I would expect there's, something like that to happen. There, there seems to be a bit of a tightrope again being walked here and that if you were to do that and you weren't allowed people to sort of lock in at a higher level and you keep chopping and changing and making the rules for pensions less attractive you've got the state pension which is a massive cost to the government and you need to incentivize people to save privately and take that risk onto their own balance sheet but if you keep chopping and changing the rules on pensions I guess it makes it less attractive so you know even the the environment can't become massively less Mm. Yeah. favourable I wouldn't have thought no the problem is you've got people look at pensions they're a long term savings plan and so the younger generation don't like the look of them because they're thinking yeah. about the mortgage they're thinking about saving for that deposit yeah, um, and then they can't think that far in advance however there's a clear message come out from governments that you know the, pen- the, the state pension was reformed around 2016 as well and that is going to be looking after us less and less. So it is really, really important that you do start planning as soon as you possibly can, mm. and it's never too late. Mm. Well, to auto enrolment's helped on that, isn't it? Hugely. So everybody's yeah. starting out now at 22. I mean, one of the downsides, of course, of auto enrolment is that the typical career path is you, you know you work at five or six different places in your first 20 years of your career. Mm. So you end up going to have five or six different pension pots with a mm-hmm. you know a few quid in each of them, and that's. Mm. And yeah, we're talking the government dashboard, etc. Might be coming to help that, mm. but it, definitely the 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 move is away from you know at some point in my lifetime there's probably going to be a means test on the state pension I would think, because again they need to cap that yeah. cost. Possibly. It's like, total speculation, by the way. Yeah, it but, is. Yeah. You know, auto enrolment has been set up with a long-term kind of view in mind. Yeah. 
of reducing yeah. people's dependence yeah. on the state yeah. in old age. Yeah. 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 yeah, and pensions. Whilst you know you talk about changes in legislation, they are much simpler these days. Um, to you may not think so, and I know you've got that look on your face, David. <laughs> but they are much simpler. They are much more straightforward. You've got nuances from really historic old versions of mm. pensions, and mm. we come across them from time to time in in planning, but. In general, with auto enrolment, the, the the process for in, for investing and staying invested has become much simpler for pensions, mm, yeah. and there's nothing as tax efficient out there. So, you know, we should be encouraging all of our clients, mm. if they're not already, to be revisiting those pensions because it's it is, you, you know, the tax breaks are there. It's it's been great for now in terms of that planning piece. And it's really, really, really important to do that um, and do it alongside other, other pieces of planning. Mm. Absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, on, on the theme of controlling the controllables, um, Johnny, thank you. You put this together. Um, this was on the back of a really interesting, I thought, piece in the FT about the guilt market. Um, interesting and guilt don't necessarily sit all that well together in the same sentence, no. but um, th there's a little bit of a quirk in the guilt market at the moment, uh, which could lead to some interesting opportunities for higher additional rate taxpayers. Johnny, so you put this together, do you want to talk us through it? Yeah, the first thing to say is we are not tax advisors, and we nope. do not give tax advice. Second thing to say is, is that the, the quirk in the guilt market is if you buy a UK government bond, and in, a, in the similar way as to the you know the UK equity market, there are a number of different gilts that you could go and buy in the market tomorrow. And as the the, the table here shows, I've put two gilts up, and they're both very low coupons. So, what that when you buy a gilt, you pay a price for it, and the, the price is per hundred. So you know 94, 96, 98 pence per hundred, and you get a coupon based on the par value each year. So we've got two different gilts in issue, a 0.25% 2025, so you get your money back in 2025 at 100, um, versus a 5% March 2025. So they've got the same duration, i.e., you know, when you get same, your money back. When you get your money back, pretty much mm -hmm. on the same date. But obviously the price you pay for each of those gilts is very different because the 5% coupon, you're getting more income on the way through, so therefore you're prepared to pay a higher price for that because you're getting more income. The low coupon gilt's got a lower price because you're not getting as much income but you're going to get 100 back instead of 94. Mm -hmm. So the quirk here is that that 0.25% 2025 gilt, the move from 94 to 100 if you buy it today and hold it to maturity, that six pence uplift, which is a 7% growth, is tax-free yeah. because there's no CGT, no capital gains on a gilt. Mm -hmm. Conversely, with the 5% coupon 2025 gilt, you're going to take the coupons each year so the income return there in the uh, third row down, you know, that's the cumulative income that you're going to receive over two years if you put £100,000. £9,700, which if you're a 40% 40 rate, 40 rate taxpayer, you're going to give away a good £4,000 in, in, in tax on that. So your after-tax return is a lot lower. 1.6% um, if you simply annualise it on the on the high coupon gilt versus three point four percent on the low coupon gilt. So, and by selecting the wrong and in inverted commas gilt <coughs> for a very similar duration, you have halved your net return. Absolutely right. So when tax. I when I started out in in the good old days of five six percent gilt yields, um, my old boss like used to we would never buy a um, above par gilt. You yeah. always bought below par gilts, yeah. just because you're giving capital away and you're paying income tax. 
So it's always been a thing. We only ever buy guilds if we can help them out. The last few years have been very difficult to buy guilds under par because most of them have been priced quite highly. Um, but the, the the comparison is there to a savings account at three percent interest rate, yeah. where again you're only getting income return. There's no capital growth involved. So again, you're giving away forty percent. Not the same asset. Not cash the same asset. Versus cash guild, versus guilt. Um, Different again, credit risk. I mean, you could argue the government's lower credit risk because you. But you do have price volatility with the guilt, clearly, yeah. between now and redemption. Um, but as that guilt gets closer to redemption, you get this what's called pull to part, because you know you're going to get 100 <coughs> on the 31st of January 2025, then that the volatility of the price falls between now and redemption. And you can do this exercise across different durations, so you can buy a 10-year guilt with a super low coupon, um, if that's what you're into. Um, and I just you, thought it was interesting that, you know, effectively... The, the FT article um, written by, uh, was it Toby Nangle or something? Yeah, I think it was Toby Nangle. Um, talked about the, the US municipal bond market, which mm. is effectively their state-issued bonds. The New York state issues municipal bonds. The coupons on those are tax-free, so the effective yields are a lot higher than traditional yeah. treasuries. Yeah. So that's where the comparison came from. And you've now got the same in the gilt market, where you've got these low-coupon gilts, um, where potentially for higher-rate taxpayers, so we're not, we're not tax advisors, there is, you know, something interesting there, yeah. in my opinion. If you were tuning in hoping for exciting stock tips, oh. we've just given you the January 2025 <laughs> guilt. Um, slightly more exciting. Um, did, you, did you see Scottish Mortgage today? Um, I didn't. I had a trustee meeting this morning, so I missed it. But um, I missed it as well, unfortunately, David. So you're going to have to fill Go us on, in. You can fill us in. Yeah, I did. It was listen. It was a, it was really good. We had them in into the office here this morning. Um, kind of the poster child I would have I would have thought is it fair to say for high growth tech type style of investment hyper growth probably um, yeah, I thought bought, this was Amazon before anyone knew about it yeah um, w- what we've seen in recent months and you pointed this out to me originally Hughie is kind of a little bit of a disconnect in, in the price of Scottish mortgage which is the green line here on screen and the Nasdaq, Nasdaq, and this is sort of tracked quite tightly over the last twelve months. Um, reason, Amazing. reason for that. So, I think there's a couple of. I mean, the main one is the private holdings. Um, essentially, as the as the listed investments within the trust have devalued over the last year, eighteen months. Obviously, the you know mark to market happens every second of every day they are live values um, whereas the private list the private investments within the trust are slower to be marked essentially the private part of the segment although they're not necessarily adding to that part it's become a larger component of the trust now <clears throat> to be fair to Scottish mortgage they are probably more active at marking their private businesses yeah. than a lot of other fund managers but there is a disconnect between their private businesses have certainly not fallen in value as much as their listed businesses. Now, they are in similar arenas. You know, they're, 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 there's something going on that you know, you could argue that they should both be marked down at similar levels, but essentially the private side has become a much bigger component. They also had some Chinese private businesses as well, which when China was a real concern for the market last year, um, shareholders fled. Um, and um, 
you know, and that's why you've got the discount kicking out to where it is. Yeah, that's what we can see here. Red line uh, is, and more, is the more, and the blue is the yeah, price of this coin. And more latterly, you've had the board issues, which um, is probably only the last Headline news so. today, isn't it? Yeah. It's headline news today that the chair has, chair has stepped away and one of the non-execs um, has sort of come out saying he was going to um, open all about some of the internal issues and, and fighting. Um, so, it, 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 I mean, it's phenomenal. It's gone from the end of 2021 probably being in, you know, I mean, it was the poster child of, of you know, every tech portfolio yeah. and, you know, Tom and James just had done a phenomenal job. I think at one stage they were the second largest shareholder in Tesla behind Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. um, they used to get direct asset, uh, access to um, Jeff Bezos. The way he used to look at shareholdings in Amazon was he'd look at the percentage holding you had and times it by the number of years you've been a shareholder. And they were, I think, one of 10 shareholders that can make a call with him. That's, you know, they were, I think the biggest attractor over the years was they've got a 10% limit on holding size biggest attractor for the fund was they were forced to sell Amazon to keep it below the 10% so it's yeah. been a phenomenal success story but when rates go from a quarter of a percent to 4% you know, in the UK um, you know the, the attractiveness of those future cash flows are not what they were mm. historically. Well, the, uh, we haven't got a longer price chart but it, it's not a dissimilar chart to what we were looking at a few weeks ago the, the pandemic A's wasn't it? Yeah, the, yeah. the five-year numbers yeah. on Scottish mortgage look brilliant um, the 18 month numbers look pretty dreadful but they had a startling <coughs> rise in 2020, 2021 which have just come back down to earth mm. but over five years as a shareholder you've still yeah. done pretty well Yeah, I wonder really I, well. I wonder over five years they're probably top certainly top decile mm. still if not I, I guess there's probably 150, 200 fund managers that play in that arena I'd be amazed if they were outside the top 10 still yeah. over yeah. five years amazing isn't it even after that round trip I should, it say, is. I should say I hold it in my personal account so I'm hoping they turn things around but, it's, but um, I mean you look at this discount it's it's gone from you know you at the beginning of this chart you were the, the price is trading at net asset value and I don't know what a discount you know, discount that, there that, is that, looking that, 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 that gap to, between to blue line and red line is bad well effectively yeah. I mean it's a, it's a phenom- I mean it's an amazing discount the other way, it's on. good well um, but yeah. just shows you these styles of investment go in and out of favour and when it turns it turns quite aggressively and that's why I think being a value investor has mm. historically worked because as a factor it's so so hard to stick with yeah. mm. for long long periods of time uh, Scottish Mortgage is, is unapologetically a growth investor and, and growth comes back into fashion I'm sure it'll do incredibly incredibly well again mm. Um we shall see. We shall see. Of shall course. Of course, um, the last thing to mention on the private investments is they have a cap, don't they, on the amount of exposure they can have to private. And when these private investments require another round of fundraising, they are limited as to how much they can put into these businesses because they can't, can't go blow a vote. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and then that comes to a shareholder vote and at this point in time the shareholders of SMT want more private exposure mm. so um, I mean it's you know this sort of goes back to you know it sort of goes back to Dave Arshi last week about you know you're a member of the funds committee what do you like to see and it's, it's people changing styles you know with with Tom Slater and James, you know, James Anderson's no longer no longer part of um, the, f- the fund management side at, at, um, at Bailey Gifford but 
the style is consistent. They, they are growth investors. Yeah, yeah. They are looking for the Amazons of tomorrow. And, and this is a great way that you can get invested to businesses mm. that you can't do on your own. But, you know, it should... You know, Dovetailed you, with something else that... And it's a small percentage of a portfolio yeah, of is the way to do it. Size it appropriately, don't get mad whenever their style of investing is out of favour. and Take profits when it goes up. Yeah, don't 100%. be brave about topping it when it goes down. 100%. Well, that, I mean, this is it. This is Very a classic. Be be greedy when others are yeah. fearful. You know, is this is this the time? Dave, Dave is uh, Dave is Dave, a timing Dave's genius. Adding, it's Dave's in his PA portfolio. Well, I don't know. It doesn't feel to me like, I mean... Doesn't feel to me like we've seen real bear market panic at any point over the last couple of weeks, but listen, we'll see. Um, I'm generally quite an optimist, so hopefully we'll we'll always model through. Of course we will. Um, cool. That's brilliant. Let's get out of here. That's more than enough for this week. Um, thank you for joining us, Jill. Thank you. Can thank I, you so much. Can I just say, when you asked me about the reform to annuities and I so did. on, it, it was April 2015 was it? and not 16. 16. So April my apologies for that. Amazing. The we record are is all about accuracy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. We're not going to apologise for any of the mistakes that we've made over the past couple of weeks. Um, Jill, thank you so much. Hopefully we'll get you on again soon. Um, gentlemen, really good. thank you very much. See good. you next time in finish, a couple of weeks. Finish CGT. All done. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. Ice is done. I am done. Yeah. It's an ongoing project. Pension contributions. It's an ongoing project. Get my abacus out. If if yeah. you need to do something before the end of the year, please Go please see do it. Give us some notice, um, guys. Thank you so much. That was fun. Um, thanks for joining us, folks. And we'll see you next time. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you.